0: Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello
1: and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as always here with Managing Editor, Richard Hill.
0: Yes. Hello, Matt. Fantastic. It's it's great to be here. It's um, uh, The weather in Sydney at the moment is surprisingly sunny, but uh, <laughs> my, my daughter's gone off camping for the school holidays, so we have her fingers crossed that it doesn't rain. Right. Uh, the, That's uh, the trigger for rain, is it? Going it is, camping. It is, yeah, <laughs> that washing your car. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but talk about happenstance things and things coming on. Mm. Uh, a dear old friend of mine, Uh, not a dear old, dear old, a a lovely friend of mine who's, who's very dear, who we've known each other for quite some time, just dropped me an email the other day. Anyway, our podcast today is going to be with her, Pamela Trotman. Now, she is a fascinating woman. She is a true wounded healer uh her her life has great deal of trauma but her capacity to deal with that and work with that has been absolutely magnificent she's uh, been working particularly up in the darwin uh, area uh, and working with indigenous communities. she's part of the uh, the whole indigenous community she's been doing that for a long time involved in social work anyway she's written a book She's been writing this book for a long time. The book is here. I'm so excited for us to talk to her, show the book, and maybe give it a a, a bit of a, a, a boost because um, she's
1: she's a really wise woman through uh, both learning and experience. So the book is Triumphing Over Trauma, Journeys Beyond Woundedness. And as always, we'll link have links in the show notes and, well, After the show, uh, we'd love for you to be able to support Pamela, and uh, it's just a great read. But before we jump across to the Northern Territory, if you do enjoy what we're doing here at the Science of Psychotherapy, please jump across to the scienceofpsychotherapy.net. That's our academy site, and we'd love to have you as part of the tribe.
0: Absolutely. Uh, come on in, you know, catch our recent documentary on uh, loss and grief, which is just wonderful. So that's a really important thing where you uh, members, of course, can see all the the contributing uh, full interviews, which is fantastic, and get to see some CEU points as well. But we're going off to Australia for a change, Northern Territory, and uh, my friend Pamela Trotman.
1: Pamela, welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you.
2: Thank you. Great to be here. I'm really excited. Uh, and uh,
0: Richard here, of course. Goodness, Pamela, where have you been? What have you been doing? Uh, Pamela and I have known each other for a number of years. That, that's, that's what we say elegantly and at this time of our life. And, uh, and you came to us through happenstance from meeting somebody else. And I got this wonderful email uh uh, goodness gracious me and you sent me a copy a completed copy of your book that you have been working on for as long as I've known you so I'm so excited about that and and you said can we podcast and I said we can podcast goodness gracious me so here we are now uh Pamela we've, we've mentioned a little bit about this fabulous book triumphing over trauma journeys beyond woundedness uh could you perhaps Without sort of uh, uh, spilling too much of the beans, I suppose there's a lot of things we can say. Just what has been this journey of bringing this this book together? Uh, You you have a long story of uh, of engagement in the the world of trauma, both personally and professionally. Uh, Let's just start with just with you talking.
2: I guess it's a bit like this because I have to say this book wrote itself. It literally. It I, I woke me up, it had wake me up in the middle of the night with ideas that I thought oh, you've just got to get this down, you've just got to get this down and things. And so in the end I actually decided I couldn't, I had been trying to do counselling and work and do things, but I thought, no, I've got to say adjust focus on the book. And that happened in, uh, when I really started doing that. Even though I've been working on it for oh, probably almost eight nine years before, and that was in August um, two thousand and August September two thousand and fourteen. <laughs> but there's two there's two sort of almost two tetracti that have slowly come together, like almost as if the cosmos has brought us together and created a reality. The first one is that I'm I'm a trauma survivor um, that. In the first five decades of my life, I had a major life trauma. So I've actually spent a lot of my life really um, determined that I wanted to be, I didn't want the trauma to dictate me. I didn't want that to be that even before, and I was even as a child, I didn't, and a young person, even before we knew about PTSD, I didn't want that to be me. So that set me off on this trajectory to finding, and I call it a journey because I am a much a journeyer in my life. I've travelled. I often will jump on a plane and I, I don't even have a guidebook when I get to the other end and I'll end up in India and I'll find my own way around India or South America and I'll learn a few words. And so that's the kind of person. That's what I've been doing personally, professionally, and I've sought lots of counselling and had people and do things and, and things, but then... Uh, I guess because I was a trauma survivor, I actually was in tune to other people's pain. So even though and that's when I first started articulating that way back in the early 1980s, which I talk about in the book, is the this recognition that people ca- are carrying a pain. And I think it's because I had progressed sufficiently far in my own healing journeys that I felt safe enough to actually talk to people and ask the questions. you know and I think I write about this in one book with in the book with in the I think in in the in the introduction with one woman who was in a, a domestic violence situation. and I just this is even before DV was really talked about. this is in the early 1980s. and I and i could i thought and I found myself saying to her, "You know, I'm wondering whether or not there's been other times in your life where you felt things have not been good for you, where you've had bad things happen for you she went, how can you tell it and
0: it was a was a wonderful part of the book Pamela, and and uh, and that that sense. That interesting sense that you you brought out so simply, just as you're telling the story now too, as you as you have in the book, that people are surprised that you are aware of uh, that a, a single event is a single trauma is very rare. Mostly, it's complex, yeah. uh, and uh, the way you brought it out, and and the way it was almost like, oh, you're being psychic with me. You know, how do you know? But you knew. And then you sort of just made a very simple response
2: to it, didn't you? you just... And it, it was totally, I mean, these were in the days when you didn't disclose or any of that, but it was again, and I just quietly said, takes one to know one.
0: It's a great.
2: It just came out. I didn't think about it. And then her, other, her response then floored me when she said, well, if you could do it, so can I. And I discovered that's when I first started feeling that energy. She had come into the room as a crushed woman, but she left the room saying, "Well, if she can do it, so can I." Yeah, and
0: this this beautiful uh, experience of um, rapport, creating that rapport, that connection between therapist and client, that's not in the textbooks. I, I don't think I don't think there's anywhere that says puff your chest out and and make a psych or or a, a satirical sort of comment. But it was so, and certainly in relation to the work I'm doing on on uh, client responsiveness, it was. Uh, and Peter Frankel uh, talked about that in one of the previous ones that we were doing, just sort of responding to the client, and it was just so perfect yeah. because you were honest and you were connected. Uh, And this is what you talk about a lot throughout the book. Understanding
2: that connection. Yeah, the difficulty for me in writing the book was, as you probably noticed, that I actually take the reader back into the into the into the interview, into the healing space. So I, which is why I couldn't move on it from doing. Active interviewing and counseling to being that because I actually had to live, move back in time and reposition myself back in that therapeutic space with every story that I was telling mm. and to actually make sense of it. But that's the other bit that's where the bits that's come through for me. I've always wanted to, I've been some, I've wanted to, I had a compelling desire to make sense of life. What's going on? I need to make sense of it. And it was this thing about trying to make sense of it. What am I picking up? So that was that first thing when I started picking up on the and tuning in in the early 2000s, actively tuning in to the survivor self. So not just for hearing the horror, but as I'm listening, I'm thinking, holy dooly, what's going on that this person survived? I mean, this is just so horrific. And I found myself with some people, and I won't put it to some of their responses, but some of their responses actually, because it was at that moment when they realised they were the survivors sitting there. There are
1: a lot of therapists who have. Some, sometimes the very reason they go into therapy is because um, they've come from a traumatized past, and, and part of that is, is for their own healing. And so they have this survivor self as, um, as a real asset to draw on. Um, but we're also told, and we're, we're, you know, I'm not quite sure what the schools are telling people these days, but you know, this non-disclosure. You know, we, we, we're not to disclose any of that. So. What have you discovered? Where do you stand, sort of in 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 all of that, um with people in in terms of disclosing or not? To create a rapport, you know, between between yourself and the other.
2: I have to be honest and say that I don't have a position on it. It is mm-hmm. totally intuitive, like that woman in that section.
0: Yeah. Well, I think she, that's a great position. Yeah, you know, lovely.
2: And, I will when I'm meeting people. I, when I'm first talking to people, I will say, look. Uh, sometimes I will I will disguise it and tell my story, such as I used to have a client. I knew this woman. I had a client who did that. If I'm thinking, if I'm worried that the self-disclosure will get in the way, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to create the get the message across rather than being it related to me. The image, the essence is not. That there's, it's about the message that
0: I'm and the communication that I'm focusing on. One one of the other things you've spoken about in some of your writings was uh, that it is important for the therapist to be managing uh, their 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 response. So they do have to be very cautious of just uh, uncontrollably reacting, which of course turns the whole thing. So this this managing. the more you, I suppose, the more it it triggers uh, or relates to triggers for your own experience. I, I know there's a wonderful story I tell about Bonnie Badnock, where where she managed it quite well, but there was just a slight flicker across of a, of a expression across her face, which which caused a rupture in the experience. But in the context of of your your um, and when people you know get, get to read the book or look at it, uh, it it's really a, a a very complex series of, of, of events and traumas. This managing, what what are some of the, the mechanisms and tricks and nifty things that you do to, to help yourself make, keep doing that?
2: You want to notice I began smiling when you talk about self-management and all of that. <laughs> um thanks to that time when I was in Davo so when I was talking in Davo working with that with with this this lady and also with Marcia I talked in the book about Marcia who had she and her sister had been repeatedly sexually and physically abused from the ages of five or six 15 or 16 and I was working with Marcia and I'm not sure which one it was but one and I one uh, what happened one day I had I had um Something was said, and it it, it hit it it hit it, it hit a raw nerve with me. Because of my commitment to remaining client focused, the only way I could handle that, you know how we have on our desk frequently when an in tray and an out tray, mm-hmm. I immediately developed a not now tray in my own mind's eye, and I visualized taking that out and putting that in the not now tray with the understanding that I had to deal with. I mean, this is 40 years ago. This is 40 years ago.
0: That's oh, that's just so uh, wonderful. Matt. You, it's, I, it's I, not, I'm I'm getting a not-now tray in my head.
2: The, <laughs> the not-now not tray is perfect because the not-now tray has some ethical obligations, imperatives. A, it's not a sweep under the mat. B, it's a recognition that we've got... Of an issue that has arisen, and thankfully it has because it gives us an opportunity to deal with it, so we needn't be scared of it. C, it means that we actually have to commit to doing something about it or we actually have been governed by the trauma and not taking control of our own lives. Mm.
1: So so in the moment, that's enough, um, you know, mentally for you to just put it aside.
2: Yep, and you know what I have taught the not now traders so many trauma survivors when they get triggered, you know, for people who mm. are triggered yep. that they can work out is this is this something now that I really need to be worried about now? Am I in a position, or have have I simply been triggered? If mm. I have been, we and you know, and I know that our brains can work that out in milliseconds, by the blink of an eye.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's yes. right. And, but, but it also allows you that opportunity to reflect on it, uh, to reflect back on it. There's There's quite a bit written now. there's a, a couple of things that the APA have been putting out uh, uh, explaining about the value of rupture or uh, the enactments that that, that can occur that, that situation where the therapist becomes involved in the in the um, the, the nature of the experience mm. and that there's a lot of value uh, in that, perhaps not in the moment. Uh, as you say, because then it's fragile and vulnerable. And, and
2: yeah. And the, the other thing is, is that it comes down to also professional competency and, and whether or not one is competent to practice, not just in skills and knowledge but in terms of whether or not one is in the right emotional state to be able to do that. And I think that's the bit we have to be very mindful of is to do that. So, for example, when in those instances, I've always gone off and I've had more trauma counselling. I've gone off and sought my own counsellor mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. deal with the issue because the, uh, the last bit is it's, it's a not-now trade, but it has to be dealt with today, not tomorrow or the next day. I have to actually confront it today.
0: Yes, it's not a never tray. It's a not not right now tray. Not
2: right now. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. that's fabulous. I mean, I I am glad we just sort of talked about that and pursued it a bit more because that's actually fabulous. Uh yeah. I don't know whether that's a, a, a big part of you know, as I was reading through because we're reading through so much of the book about trauma, but that's a, that's just a great bit of advice. Everyone write that down if you haven't already. Uh so th- let's let's just move on now. We, we so we're managing uh as as we say uh we have a not now tray there to to look after um unexpected uh, potential ruptures uh and what you you move through in your book which i'm sure uh what you've done is this is what you've built up as a practitioner and do as you say in those milliseconds But you've gone through the chapters and what is it, about 10, 11, 12 uh, chapters going through the book and you go through and you just describe each of them, beginning with that naming of uh, recognising and naming the traumatic woundedness. Can you talk to us a bit about that traumatic woundedness, how to recognise it and how you name it?
2: Okay. I think I got the language for that. Well, I know I got the language when I was working in Relationships Australia up here in Darwin in the early 2000s, I read an article and there's a reference to it in the book but I can't remember the name of the the researchers. They found out that they were doing research on the brain where they had electrodes put to the things and they found, this is my understanding of the research, very naive but anyway, they had all the electrodes there and they found that when a person could not provide a name or accurately name the emotion that they are experiencing, the electrodes fired all over, the, the step synapses fired all over the place. Neurons just fired all over. As soon as they were able to give a name to say, this is how I'm feeling, the neurons settled down and sucked away. And all and just blip 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 all the way around to do that.
0: Right, and that it actually was a, a, a resolving and almost a calmative. And a, which
2: is what we have know about, and you and I know about, in terms of neuroscience, that when we are able to language an emotion, when we connect. The, the emotion, I'm not talking about PTSD, I'm talking about right frontal lobe, mm-hmm. that we'd be able to have an emotional reaction to something and then we can actually name what's going on and give it meaning, but that's, that means we're also languaging the left, the left, the left, 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 left right, side of the brain, frontal lobe. So once we do that, we're actually then using our whole brain to deal with this. Yes, so and that
0: gives us the capacity. Reacting. Yeah. So we can we can then regulate, yeah.
2: And, and we're better regulated. we better regulate it. We
0: can we that can f- better
2: regulated. Yeah. So the more I started asking people and getting tuning into this and asking the question, what does this mean to you? Mm. And it started with Marcia and the Humpty Dumpty. Again, that's 40, it's 40 years ago with that. When she just and I, she wasn't able to articulate something, but she and 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 she one day I just uh, she said, I feel like Humpty Dumpty, that I've fallen off the wall and I can't put myself back together again.
0: Isn't that wonderful? Spontaneous emergence of metaphor, you know, decades before it became popular. Uh, although Milton Erickson had been doing this, this had been seeing this also. Uh, and then you just. I I grew
2: up with it. Humpty Dumpty, you know, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't win Humpty together again. So who can? It's got to be Humpty. Not you, or you or me or counselors. We've got to find the way to help Humpty reclaim himself, which is what I did again 40 years ago with Martha, which I talk about in the book.
0: Because the next chapters you then go into uh you go into the difficulties of this uh, uh traumatic woundedness the the areas and i'll just rattle off the ones i mean the sort of denial rejection the the injustice the the, the gnawing at the soul uh so are these these talking about um uh, both what happens when 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 things are, are not treated well, but also the are these the difficulties and the sensitivities you need to have as a therapist as you're uh, working with your client, how did these work into the the frame?
2: For me, they became they became they merged together, and I guess this was the, that other part that they came together that as I actually, and you know you you talk, Richard, and you've done a wonderful podcast, Richard. Supervisor and myself, said just your podcast on curiosity, she loved it. So just some feedback.
0: Oh, that's but the lovely. idea
2: of being curious, not to doing an analysis of think but just genuinely curious to find out what it means, this means to the person, not the interpretation and meaning I give to it. What does this mean? And the more I sat back and asked the people that what does this mean and use whatever techniques we could, the more I did that, the more I was able to find the language, start to find the language. And and, and that was connecting to what, what was the sense of feeling. So with loss and grief, it's not, as I talk about in the book, it's not just loss and grief about death. For me it was the loss of innocence. I never had... A childhood I knew what I knew about sex and all that I never had that lovely experimental bit there was a grief about that the loss of grief about that the denial it's the and the denial and so when I'm listening to and hearing people the denial and rejection so when I was listening to Aboriginal people talk about how it felt to be Aboriginal and stolen generation and that's embedded in the denial the denial of their their denial of their humanity, mm. you know, the absolute absolute denial of the humanity, which and and the fact and their citizenship, their personhood, which we know in Australia didn't didn't wasn't didn't change until the twenty seventh of May, nineteen sixty seven, was when I first voted.
0: And 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 are these these cultural traumas uh, really just just mount up? Now you've been working. Uh for decades there in in Darwin and, and uh, with various various groups, uh, but of Aboriginal uh, background and and how much how much of is the burden greater just simply by these background what um Aaronson uh, Steele in America called the stereotype threats which just hang around which which makes it all that much harder to uh, to to uh, navigate the the current traumas.
2: I'm not sure if I fully understand you, but I think the challenge it is, isn't it? It's a challenge, or maybe it's a quest that we need to go on, uh, rather than being just a straight raw challenge. It's the quest: is how do we actually create the realities? How do we deal with the realities? By but actually find ways to to overcome that overcome those things that were stopping us from being fully human or getting in the way of other people being fully human because of our behaviors mm. but it's a quest to find a quest for I guess it's a quest for a search for our own humanity and to find a shared humanity and um
1: and coming back to the individual because I mean there's a whole lot of things you know that, that that can happen politically and socially but on the individual level what you were saying about curiosity too is just a sort of bring it back to that that is just so important from a neurological level and Richard can wax lyrical about the synchronicity between left and right hemispheres and and grounding in in left hemisphere naming of things and right hemisphere use of metaphor and 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 all of that but this is um this is some very I mean they're very easy techniques that we can we can use um with clients to bring them into a different frame
2: I can remember for example I had When I was working at Relationships Australia, I had the benefit of two whiteboards, small rooms, but two whiteboards. So with this young woman, um, she had recently, relatively recently escaped from a very emotionally abusive and coercive relationship. Um, and we'd actually, and I talk about it for another client as well, but uh, we had this timeline, of, and I just drew the timeline of, of how he seduced her, how he got her, in, and all the things that happened, and then, and we've just got over the two boards, and they're looking at, and I stand back, and I said to her, "How come you didn't succumb to this? How come you finally found a way to get out?" And it was genuine curiosity. I thought what's mm. going on for this woman and it wasn't analytical it was just person to human to human to, she, again like she said then he would have won
0: yeah wasn't that great you allowed her to truth her truth to come out and uh what a brilliant what a brilliant response and, what and, what kind of, of course, genius would you have to be to figure that out yeah uh,
2: and without and, and of course I say having recognized I've got this beautiful Incredible! I cut Jim in my hand, and I say, "What did you just say?" Yeah. Well, he would have won. I'm saying, say it louder. Well, he would have won. So, and getting that, so the brain actually, literally, starts to really take notice and listen, and not That's, just react.
0: And it's consolidating. Yeah. It's consolidating the experience. And because uh, sometimes we do have, uh, we, you know, we have spontaneous things that emerge out of ourselves and out of our client, but they do need to be, and Ernie Rossi would, would say this to me, he'd say, uh, now you start using the frontal cortex and and make sense of this and make depth of this and make truth of this and implement this This stage four uh, uh, process after the, the creativity.
1: Well, it's discovering some of those fundamental um, schemas too that may not have been fully articulated, and um, once you are once you articulate some of those fundamental schemas, like I, I talk about getting to the basement, you know, we're we're getting to the basement of what yeah. what's driving behavior.
2: Yeah, and and I really give thumbs up to that because when we look at that, the notion of what what does what does then he would have one meant. What does it mean for you to be your own person? Because it it would have been easier to to, in some ways to stay there. So if you've got that capacity, if there's a part of you and an alien part of you that actually found your way out, how can we use that to help you recover? Not just survive, recover, which is why I call it triumphing over trauma. Mm. Because there's no point unless we can actually find a life
0: and recover from trauma so let's let's look at that a, a, a little bit as as you did you the, the last couple of chapters uh are case studies and Ooh. uh and the particular the last one uh joanna's story is is really really quite um uh uh fantastic the um so this nature of recovery now there's a couple of things I'd love to hear just discuss with your own personal story. you talked about um some recoveries sort of along the way, so there were some although they kept coming back at you. Uh, and then some of these stories. you want to give us a, a a personal example if you only if you wish, but also a little bit of this case study.
2: the The story that I'm referring to is when I was my elder sister and I was sexually abused, which for me between the ages of five and seven. I could always tell when I was going to be sexually abused because of the look he got in his eye. And this man was a grey, he had green-grey eyes, okay? Mm. In my youth, and right through until I was 37, none of my man friends, didn't matter what shape they were, what colour their skin was, they all had to have brown eyes, not even blue eyes, I knew I had been healed when my husband, my second husband, because my first husband was emotionally abusive, when I met and I actually could see in his eyes love and respect. Wow. And it, and, I, and I said to him one night, well, you know, you, you're probably going to be a bit pootsy about this, but, but I think you've healed me.
0: I, I know. I know, Tony. He he. You you picked a good one. He's a, a truly a beautiful, beautiful man. man.
2: He's yeah. a beautiful man, and you know, and 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 that's that's a, I don't know if that's the kind of example that you that that will give you. You know that, mm. you know that, that sort of sense that, and it it also meant that I actually my my brain was rooted in this. That this color eye was 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 a problem eye for me.
1: You know?
0: Yes, you're overwhelmed with the trauma, but somehow up, uplifted by great beauty and by, by and great be- non. And the
2: beautiful and the beautiful man. Yeah. So this beautiful man that just just loves me so dearly, and only ever looks upon me with which is with with great love and regard and respect. You know. Yeah.
1: And every everyone that has suffered um, trauma will, um, quite often, there will be one thing at least that is um, very generalised, isn't it? They can see it everywhere, um, and whatever that thing might be, um, and it might be might not be massively triggering, um, but um, but it's 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 there. It, um, and it, it stimulates it does, the subconscious.
2: Yeah, that didn't worry me. that, you know, I mean, Robert. When I was growing up, Robert Redford was the hot. Uh,
0: he was a hot dude, yes, indeed. Everybody
2: thought he was just gorgeous. Forget it. Uh, the only time my I realized, which was after I got together with my husband Tony, when Out of Africa came out and I watched it. And Robert Redford, and I fell in love with Robert Redford then because of that relationship he uh. had. Did you, have a, yeah,
0: did you have a relationship? Did you have an awareness of the the, the color of the eyes as a trigger, or was this just a predominantly a subconscious thing, or did it sort of mix and match? What was going on? Um, there?
2: pretty subconscious.
0: Right, you would yeah. just be turned off. So it was it was sort of a nociceptive type I of was thing. Oh uh,
2: yeah, I just it, it looked in, you know, I looked in eyes, and I just it, it was just something that I I couldn't. Couldn't
0: find, you know. Couldn't yeah. do, yeah. You know. so, so, so that's something I think that is that is very important for people to realize. The, I mean, there are conscious triggers that that get you, but the something may you may have these non-conscious triggers. They, they, uh, uh, they can be quite disguised, and uh, and the thing that you think is bothering you is actually not the case. It's it's something that's happened uh, in a slightly different frame.
2: And that's where I think we go back to the concept, the idea of curiosity, is that if when we're working with people we get the sense that there's something else there, we, we just ask the question: is there something else going on that you're intuitively reacting to without realizing it? Mm. So you may not be aware of it just yet. So all I'm doing is I it's like a little air, I'm, I'm, I'm floating a balloon, I'm floating a question. To hover in the air, just to hover and to ask the question, and maybe if we open ourselves up, maybe that's the answer will come. But it's not something that will come through a rational thinking.
0: But it goes back to your that initial chapter. Recognize <laughs> you recognize it first, and then the naming, uh, uh, the naming will come yeah. in its in its own time.
2: And that's what I think has happened with each of the seven different forms of the of the traumatic wounding. And I might stress that traumatic wounding uh, in my terminology is not absolutely nothing to do with PTSD. It's the wounding that happens in the in the psyche of the person, which from my understanding, Richard, you know more about this than I, but it's the bit the meaning we give to it. In, which happens in our right frontal lobe, and that's linked to our like all our experience and to, and, and to all the last experience, so, and of morality, and all the, just, and it's it's linked to our personhood, it's linked to our humanity. Whereas the other one is just a pure survival thing, and I think
0: yeah, so the survival is, self is is got a, a, is the beginning is understanding that then you then the survivor self moves them into the what what would we call the do you call it recovered self or the whole self or what do you have? Well,
2: in it? I mean, the, I mean the, the reality is very few people just want to survive. they want to be more than surviving. They don't want to they don't want to live on the brink of the precipice of disaster for the rest of their days. Yes. If we're going to survive, well what the hell are we going to do with ourselves? And I think that's the inherent question that really comes, that has to be done for somebody who wants to really find a life beyond trauma.
1: Yes, and I guess that would be the thriving self.
2: So so they become the thriving self. Mm, mm, mm. It might take a long time before they really feel that they're thriving, but at least they're actually knowing they're not on the brink of disaster all the time
0: yeah I, I mean it is difficult the thing that helps the, the things that help us lift up your tony I, I do have uh, someone else who's who's in sort of that um survivor self situation and and i yearn for her to have a tony um but it's um uh, uh we haven't done anything that hasn't come yet but uh, sometimes it's um it's engaging and, and finding a positive environment to engage with. Is that something you you help people work towards?
2: I want to clarify. There, Tony wasn't my Tony. Didn't promote my survivor self. Tony actually, just by being him and being the quality of man that he is, I was finally had had another experience. Uh, that's what experience. I was
0: meaning, but, but yeah. yeah, thank you for yeah. clarifying. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because I think we can't find that in other people. We must find it in ourselves. Yes. We, but yeah. we we experience it in relationship with others. I think that's the essence of it.
0: Mm, much better. Much better, much better put. Yeah.
2: As survivors, it's not just about telling our story because we told, I told a story when I was seven, when I was this high. Mm. But we weren't heard. And that was part of the wounding that happened. Right. So that's that that wounding that happened that we weren't, so in a sense that because they didn't really hear, which is the stories from the the institutional child sexual abuse, that was the wounding that happened right. through that. They told their stories, but then they were negated and they weren't heard. So it's defining the, the voice and how to be heard. And it also is to how to hear oneself because sometimes we shut ourselves and our own voice that says that we need to listen to it. We shut our own voice down.
0: Uh, listening, I uh, say, so with naive curiosity uh, to others and to oneself to, able, to enable yourself to explore uh, what's not known, what, what is unexpected.
2: Because... And, and, and to believe in life enough and self enough to actually give it a try because you've got nothing to lose. We've got nothing to lose. Yeah. There was a, I did write a whole, another whole chapter, which I chose not to put in, in the end, about learning how to sing and how to just to actually be and to sing because I'm not at all musical. But anyway, I didn't put that in. But it None is a about, book. <laughs> and it's about, I mean, we all have our five ways of finding how we sing. You know, it's it's we've got where I'm living. It's unusual that we haven't got a little bird song here that you would actually pick up. Probably pick up with the different bird songs and how how we know each other. How we know that who who's in the garden and our neighbours are by their bird song. How do we how do we sing, How do we how do we celebrate life?
0: That's a pretty good thing. That's a good question. One thing, Pamela, is I've only seen a transcript of uh, uh, of this. Have you got? I bet you you've got on the desk uh, just a, a lovely cover. Show 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 me the book. <laughs> look, I knew you would. I knew you'd have it there. <laughs> oh, look yeah. at that. Oh, and the, isn't that lovely? Fantastic. And I'll tell you. I'll read you, if I may,
2: briefly, the story of the tree. On St. Patrick's Day 2018, cyclone Marcus raged across Darwin, uprooting thousands of trees. We had an old bedbreadfruit tree in our garden, which is only a couple of metres from the back of our elevated house. The winds blew the tree against the neck, necessitating its removal. When the arborists came to remove it, I asked that they leave a substantial trunk as I planned to create a small arbour in that part of the garden which had hitherto been wrecked, rather than neglected. My husband and I planted the arbour, then went about our lives, giving little thought or attention to the stump of the plants on it, adorning it. Then one day I noticed a tree had begun had grown new small shoots of branches, evidence of the life still within. I thought this was the most apt depiction of what I was writing about in the book, so I commissioned one of Darwin's artists, Alison Dow, to paint it for me. This is her painting.
0: Well, Pamela, I think that is just a wonderful way to conclude our conversation today. Uh, uh, within, Within everything, even a stump, there is still the possibility of fabulous new life. Uh, I gotta tell you, Matt. We just scratched on the surface of Pamela's mm, yes. deep experience. Uh, I, I was, uh, you know, not not wanting to encourage her to, to you know, really tell story again, mm. uh, because a lot of her stories are are, are very hard. But I wanted to talk about how she's managed, what she's learned, where she's grown, and uh, I think she did that fabulously. And I think there was a lot in there for therapists to add yeah, uh, to appreciate.
1: Yeah, and to plumb the depths of what Pamela has got to say, just do go to the book "Triumphing Over Trauma: Journeys Beyond Woundedness." Link in the show notes. There were so many tangents that I I could have gone off on um, talking about uh, you know the brain and using metaphor and um, anchoring things with the left hemisphere and naming things, but um, yeah, maybe for a, maybe for another time. For another um, time,
0: and and of course, remember uh, go to our the YouTube channel and you can see the interview on video, podcast yep. on video. That we have in there and subscribe in and check out all the fabulous uh, uh, uh,
1: fabulous videos and interviews and things that we've got there. Fantastic. Well, thank you everybody for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.